Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. We are in a series through the Gospel of John, and I believe that today is part nine. Uh, but really, who is keeping track when you're spending most of the year in one book, right? So, I, so we're uh, walking right along, and we're having a great time. Uh, today, we're going to be in John chapter 5, verses 19 through 30. John chapter 5, 19 through 30. If you have your Bible, you can follow along with me. It'll also be up on the screen, or there should be a Bible somewhere in the seats uh, right in front of you. Uh, but let's read together. You can follow along as I read uh, John chapter 5, verses 19 through 30. It says this, Now Jesus gave them this answer, Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he does. Yes, and he will show uh, him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. Now, for just as the Father raises the dead and gives them new life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. For very truly I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes in him who has sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. And very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For the Father has uh, for the Father has life in himself, so he has granted also the Son also uh, to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. No, not, do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good uh, will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. But by myself, but by myself I can do nothing. Uh, for, but judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but to please the one who sent me. And as they used to say, all the people said, Amen. Amen. Now, if you grew up in church, you were trained to say that. Uh, but if you were free to say what you were probably thinking after I read this passage, you would probably say something like, what in the world is he talking about? <laughs> right? Um, and now you're looking to me. Uh, to tell you, but I'm not sure I can be of much help uh, because uh, it just seems that Jesus is talking pretty cryptically in this passage, does it not? So let's see if we can figure this out together. Now the part that stuck out to me in the, was the middle section where Jesus is talking about resurrection because you know me, I'm always talking about resurrection. And so look at uh, verse 25 with me. It says, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of Man, and those who hear it will live. And so he is uh, speaking in the present tense. Uh, it's almost like it's a, a current reality, something that is already happening. Uh, it's as though he wants us to understand that there is something that is going on right here and right now. But then, a few verses later, in verses 28 and 29, uh, Jesus says, A time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Which sounds to me like it's something that is yet to happen. And so, there, 
appears to be a present reality uh, and something that is yet to come as well. There's an already and there's a not yet. Could it be that Jesus is trying to help us understand that something happening right now also gives credibility to something that is yet to come? A couple of weeks ago, uh, we gathered in this room on a Wednesday evening to receive the ashes of Ash Wednesday. Uh, You know, Ash Wednesday is a pretty jarring experience, Uh, particularly if you've never Uh, If you've never gone to an Ash Wednesday service, if you've never experienced Ash Wednesday before, it's a jarring experience because uh, we we come forward, we receive the ashes, and we hear these words, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Uh, In a culture that does everything possible to avoid death or talking about death, uh, this is a totally countercultural thing to do. Uh, It is totally countercultural to gather together as a community and remind ourselves that we are one day going to die. And yet on Ash Wednesday, several of you did just that. You lined up, you came forward, and I reminded you uh, that one day you will return to the dust. And there were those that came forward that were battling disease. There were those at the end of life. Uh, There were young kids, my own kids, I put the ashes on their hands or their foreheads, and I said, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You know, if we're totally honest, there is a measure of hopelessness to this whole exercise. But maybe that's the point. Maybe the point of Ash Wednesday and Lent is to embrace the hopelessness of our broken lives and bodies so that we can fully enter into the hope of new life. You see, what Ash Wednesday and, and Lent does is it pulls together these, this current reality of our brokenness and this thing that is yet to come in our hope of new life in Jesus Christ. And so maybe Ash Wednesday and Lent are in some way embody what Jesus is talking about here, that receiving the ashes causes us to reflect on our need for rescue, but in doing so, it gives us a voice to hope against all hope. But then at the beginning of this passage, Jesus is talking about the Son and the Father. And I wonder, why does God always refer to himself in the third person? He says, I am. In Exodus, he says, I am who I am. In John chapter 4, when talking to the woman at the well, he says, if you knew who it was that offered you this water, you would ask him for some, uh, some of it. <laughs> Uh, it reminds me of a Seinfeld episode, right? Where everyone is referring to themselves in third person. You guys have seen that one? No, you haven't seen that one. It's a great one. You should. <laughs> and you could hear a pin drop when he referenced a Seinfeld episode that apparently no one saw. So, but, so in, this, the, in this Seinfeld episode, everyone is referring to themselves to the third person. And when I read Jesus talking about himself, and he's talking to him about himself in the third person, I'm just reminded of that episode. But it seems like the theme of this Seinfeld episode of this portion of Scripture uh, is the unity between the Father and the Son. 
Uh, it's, it's like over and all these descriptions are given that is trying to point us to the fact that there is an intense unity between the Father and, and the Son. It's like the Son is an apprentice to the Father who is doing His work. And then the Son is given authority by the Father. And then the Son carries out that, the, his, the work of the Father by giving life and executing judgment. In fact, the, the picture that is painted in the beginning of this passage is precisely that of an apprentice. It's, it's kind of this first thing of, I'm going to do it, but you watch me do it. And then let's do it together, and then you do it, but I'll watch you do it. It's this idea of, of passing authority on, and that's precisely what the God the Father is doing for Jesus. He's giving him authority. And he's talking about this incredible unity. And it, just as we're trying to discover what this passage is all about, I'm just I'm wondering that if at least part of the point of the passage is to communicate this truth that whatever our response is to Jesus is also our response to God. That we, that we can't so easily separate the, this idea of this, this big divine power and how we might respond to Him and differentiate that from our response to Jesus. Because there's this tremendous unity between the Father and the Son. And so it's almost as if a person's response to Jesus is also that person's response to God since they are unified. And this must mean that at some point, all of us are going to have to decide what to do with Jesus. At some point, all of us have to decide what we're going to do with Jesus. Now, on one level, we might take that and say, yeah, okay, I believe that Jesus is, is my Savior, and, and I accept Him as Lord, I accept Him by faith, and, and all of that. But it, it, I would say it even goes one step further, that we have to decide, are we really going to take Jesus seriously? Are, are we going to look at His teachings? Are we going to look at his, uh, the, the truth that is revealed in the parables that He shared, and begin to say, okay, I, I think this is how I'm supposed to go about and live my life. I think there are supposed to be tangible ways in which I then go and care for the poor. And whether that's through my own effort, through an extension of the ministries of the church, or, or whatever it's supposed to look like, at some point I need to be, go and say, if I'm going to take Jesus seriously, then Jesus tells me I need to go and care for the poor. And so how am I going to support that? How am I going to work and do that? What are the direct ways that I'm going to get involved and take Jesus seriously? And so at some point, if Jesus is, is and the Father are unified, we have to come to a place where we say, I, I'm going to take Jesus at his word. I'm going to love my enemies. I'm going to care for the poor. I'm going to go the extra mile. I'm going to live generously. I'm going to do all of these things. I'm going to offer forgiveness. I'm going to seek reconciliation. I'm going to do all of these things in an effort to live as Jesus has called me to live. And so because the Father and the Son are unified, at some point... All of us have to decide. What are we going to do with Jesus? Is Jesus just going to be my Savior? Or is Jesus also going to be Lord over my life? Am I going to do my best to follow his teachings? And so as I'm trying to make sense of this passage, I, I understand that first of all, Jesus is talking about resurrection both in the present tense as though it's a current reality. And then Jesus is also talking about resurrection as though it's in the future tense, as though it is something yet to come. 
And so there's, there's this play of, of tenses going on, that it's something that's already happened and yet not something that happened, has happened yet. And then we have that, and then we have this, this unity of the Father and the Son. And if we're going to make any sense of this passage, we have to sit here and we have to try to figure out how do these two ideas play together? What is the connecting point between these? And I want to uh, take a few moments here this morning to try to connect these two together. And I don't have a lot to say this morning other than to uh, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us out of these truths. And so let's do our best to put these ideas together. I believe it says this. If I, if I decide to follow Jesus, and that is if I decide to place my faith in him, yes. If I decide to make him Lord of my life, if I decide to give him all of myself. That, that anytime that uh, the scripture talks about following Jesus or having faith, it isn't the way that we tend to think about it is as in an intellectual assent to a particular set of facts. But it's, I, put my play, I place my trust in Jesus. And if I decide to follow Jesus, if I de- decide to put my trust in Jesus, then what happens is I receive God's spirit inside of me. And the God's spirit inside of me begins to well up like living water. That's part of the passage, the point of John chapter 4, is that when I receive the spirit of God inside of me, then then the spirit of God wells up inside of me like living water. But guess what? Here's the point that Jesus wants to make. It isn't just about a a spiritual experience or or, uh, being given new spiritual life. What Jesus wants to say is that in that moment, when we decide to follow Jesus, when we decide to take him seriously, when we give him our whole selves, what happens then is that we are literally brought from death to life. In that moment, we are brought from death to life. We are brought from ashes to beauty. Which means that I can wear ashes, but not be left in ashes. Remember, the whole, one of the tremendous points of Ash Wednesday is that we enter into the darkness so that the light might shine brighter. We, we put on ashes so that we can remind ourselves that we're not left in ashes. And so part of the point that Jesus is making is that this, this idea of resurrection is, in fact, a present reality. That you have been spiritually reborn. Literally made new. From, brought from death to life. And so Jesus wants me to see that the miracle of resurrection is happening in me. Right here and right now. I'm afraid, though, that too often we, we just stop at believing in Christ as Lord and Savior. And then, we just, and then our, spiritual growth, our, our spiritual growth is forever stunted because we don't go on and, and make Jesus the Lord of our life. Take his teachings seriously. Apply them to our lives in all of the ways uh, that he shows us and teaches us. And in doing so, we stunt the Spirit's work in our life to bring us from death to life. And so we need, so we live as those who are truly resurrected, living into our identity as resurrected people. 
And so Jesus wants me to see that the miracle of resurrection is happening in me right here and right now. And this current reality then points to the future reality of bodily life and resurrection. I said at the beginning, remember that what Jesus is doing is he's trying to remind us of a current and present reality that will give credibility to a future hope. And so what, what he's doing is he's saying the reality of bodily resurrection that is yet to come is given credibility by the fact that we are given new spiritual life right here and now. Does that make sense? What this means then is that when I return to the dust, that event isn't the end at all because I already possess new life. That what God began in me will come to fruition with new physical life as well. And if we can hold on to that, and if we can recognize that, then we can begin to see um, that it affects everything. If we can really grab a hold of the fact that we have been brought literally right now from death to life, and that gives credibility to our future hope of one day all things being made new and bodily resurrection for us, then it changes everything. And what it means is that I can come forward to receive ashes and not despair. It means that I can face death and not be afraid. And if new life is being birthed in me right now, then I can walk through suffering with hope. I can walk through challenges and hold on to faith. means that I can make it through the night because the dawn is coming. And since new life is being birthed in me through faith in Jesus, then everything has changed. And the proclamation that I want to make to you today is quite simple. Indeed, everything has changed. Indeed, everything is, in fact, being made brand new. That when it comes to the ideas of faith, ideas of hope and resurrection and forgiveness, these are not ideas that, that are just sort of float without a context. These are ideas that are firmly grounded in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and then are offered back to us as we place our faith in him. That as we place our faith in him, we receive his forgiveness so that we can then go and offer forgiveness. We receive a new spiritual, new life being brought from death to life to give credibility to that one day, even though our bodies return to the dust, that they will be raised up in new life as well. That everything is made new in the economy of the kingdom of God. Amen? And so, in fact, everything has changed. Now, of course, the real challenge of the Christian life is to live into this current reality, to live as folks who have been brought from death to life. And that's why we need to take Jesus seriously. That's why we need to look at the Gospels and the teachings of Jesus and begin to say, how can I, what changes do I need to make in my life? What adjustments do I need to make in my habits so that I can more 
properly live into the reality of who I already am in Christ. I have been brought from death to life, and now may the, may the life of his spirit inside of me well up like living water as I follow him. And so my challenge to you today, and my invitation to you today, is to, to go home this week and through prayer and through reflection and uh, through quiet times with the Lord and just asking the Holy Spirit to speak to you and begin to just say, how in the world can I begin to, what is one thing I need to do just to more properly apply the teachings of Jesus to my own life? What is something that God is calling me to do that I've been resistant toward? What is, what is a new perspective that the Holy Spirit wants to offer me that I've been keeping at arm's length? And then begin to say, God, would you birth something new in me? Would this whole idea of spiritual new life no longer be something that is out there and just an idea, but may, may it be firmly rooted and grounded in my heart and the things that you are speaking to me? And so I invite you to go and do that this, this week. In fact, this morning is a great time to begin that work as we come to the table.